It seems that every time I open social media or come across news articles, one of the most popular subjects I'm seeing these days is the topic of how to stay healthy. Something incredibly hard to do on quarantine. We've said a couple times throughout the series that after all of this is over, we'll emerge in either the best shape or the worst shape of our lives. As you think back to the last couple of months and how you found yourself spending your time, what trajectory have you found yourself on at this point? Are you using any newfound time that you might have to work out more? Or do you find yourself watching TV more? Have you spent your time building relationships over Zoom and phone calls or do you find yourself endlessly scrolling social media? Have you found yourself building in healthy eating habits to your routine or do you find yourself actually snacking and drinking more than you did before? Now, personally, while I've been going on more walks these days, I'm not quite sure that it balances out all the extra snacking and Netflix, but it's amazing how much we're driven by the idea of more. We try and solve so many of the problems we face in life simply by having more of one thing or another. You know, I'm driven by the need to feel validated in my job, so I work more. I'm exhausted after a long day of work, so I watch just one more episode. I'm driven by the need to feel comfortable and full, and so I reach for just one more. When the media began to use words like pandemic, a lot of us felt the compulsion to stock up on food and hand sanitizer and other things just to make sure that we had enough. And I think that in a season where more seems to be the normal, God's inviting us to reflect on what enough truly looks like. You know, even though it was just a couple years back, it feels hard to remember how many of our TV habits operated pre-Netflix. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. These days, when we start a new show, it's as if we expect to consume as much of it as possible in the shortest amount of time. Some of us even wear, wear it like a badge of honor. Like, I finished all nine seasons of The Office in just two months. <laughs> in fact, I catch myself getting annoyed when the newest show we discovered only has a couple of seasons or when Netflix has chosen to release them one episode at a time, it feels painful. We're obsessed with the idea of more and it doesn't take much to figure out the relationship between our desire to consume and when we face stress and chaos in our lives. Before we know it, our cravings have turned into coping mechanisms, so much so that we've added phrases like stress eating and comfort food to our everyday language. Why is it that we so quickly turn to our cravings to medicate or numb the discomfort we feel when we're experiencing seasons of disruption? Well, take something like a pint of ice cream, the quintessential symbol of late night comfort food after a hard day. When we indulge in foods like this that are high in sugar, our brains receive a hormone that makes us feel happy and excited. Now, when we have too much sugar, we can confuse our brain's reward pathways and cause the brain to react to sugar positively each time we consume it. This leads to a higher sugar tolerance, meaning you need to consume more sugar to receive that same chemical reaction, as well as an increased craving. The more ice cream we eat, the more ice cream we need to eat to feel the emotional reward we've conditioned ourselves to expect. More leads to the need for more. And this idea isn't limited to food. Our brains receive positive hormones 
when we do all kinds of things, when we work out, we receive likes on social media, or even when we check something off of that growing to-do list. Regardless of what it is that we're consuming, the same thing is true. Each time we medicate a real human need with something, we're rewiring our brains to rely on that thing. Now, unless you're dealing with a genuine addiction, eating, social media habits, working out, or drinking isn't a problem. An unhealthy reliance on things like food, exercise, and coffee, and alcohol aren't in and of themselves problems. They just demonstrate to us that there's something more happening beneath the surface. They're just symptoms of the problem. We may be using fitness, uh, alcohol, coffee, all these things. We may be using these things to avoid dealing with the realities of life, to self-medicate and numb the pain away, and that is actually the problem. In these moments where we're tempted to consume more to cope with our present circumstances, God's inviting us to trust that God alone is enough. You know, in one of the accounts of Jesus' life, we, we read in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says this in response to being tempted in the desert after 40 days of no food and no water. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when Jeff was referencing this story uh, of Jesus' fast and solitude where he confronted some of the big questions of life, one of which was, do you trust that God will provide everything that you need? And in this moment where Jesus is being confronted, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy where we read about God guiding the nation of Israel through the desert. The story from Deuteronomy illustrates the utter dependence that the Israelites needed to have on God to provide for their basic needs. Like us, in the story, the people of Israel were experiencing pain, trauma, stress from being dislocated from their homes and finding themselves in a place of need for basic essentials for survival. Although we find ourselves actually trapped in our homes instead of dislocated and in most cases, we're in a place of abundance. God's comfort to the Israelites is equally applicable to you and I. What you really need is not more bread and water. What you really need is to learn to experience and trust in the guiding, loving presence of God. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that we need to completely eliminate certain items or practices. Sugar isn't bad. Social media isn't bad. Online shopping isn't bad. Alcohol isn't bad. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, although not everything is good for you. Jesus says, people don't live by bread alone. Bread and food are essential parts of our lives, and we need them to survive, but it's not enough on its own. There's necessity and even goodness in the things that we consume daily as the essentials of our lives, but they're not enough on their own. Jesus also says in John 4, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. There's a reason why consuming more often results in us desiring more of the same thing. We need more than what these things can offer us. We need to live out of dependence on God. The important question for us to ask is, how have our habits of consumption robbed us of opportunities to trust God more? Just like the Israelites were being asked to trust God in greater and deeper ways, we don't need more chips, Netflix, alcohol, or fad diets to get us through this thing. 
what we need to respond, what we need is to respond to God's invitation and trust that he'll fulfill and satisfy our deepest longings. One of the ways we can actually do that is using the spiritual practice of fasting. Fasting is abstaining from an item most commonly food for a determined period of time. It's a way for us to respond to God by praying with our whole body and challenging ourselves to rely on the sustaining power of Christ rather than the things that we consume. It's about learning to go without and in doing so, learning to trust God to a greater degree. Fasting, in other words, forces us to give something up in order to receive something better. And although we read about fasting all throughout scripture, it's certainly not a distinctly Christian practice for the Baha'i and the Muslims. Fasting is associated with a particular time of the year. Uh, In Eastern religions, um, the time of the full moon is often a time of fasting or Jews fast on various holidays like Yom Kippur. Fasting has all different kinds of purposes even that range from uh, ways to grieve to practicing repentance to praying for something specific. Fasting was integral for the people of Israel. In Luke 18, 11, Jesus tells a parable about a stereotypical pious Jew as someone who fasts twice a week. For God's people, fasting was just part of the way of life. Although fasting has been so religiously important in so many traditions and throughout history, we in the West don't generally understand what it's all about. And so often when we do try it, we try it for all the wrong reasons. We're easily tempted to use fasting for strictly human ends. Fasting from food in hopes that it makes us healthier. Fast from social media in order to be more productive. Fast from drinking to save money. When we first entered into quarantine, my schedule got thrown all out of whack like many of us. Uh, It became easier to reach for junk food, binge watch TV, and endlessly scroll my phone. And ironically, I also found it harder with any extra margin that I did have Uh, to actually find time to pray. And so in an effort uh, to try and kill two birds with one stone, I decided to try and add a weekly 24-hour fast from food into my daily rhythm or into my weekly rhythm. And think about it. I could gain extra spiritual points by fasting and get my summer body ready in the process. And so I spent my day avoiding any and all foods that would tempt me to break the commitment that I'd made to myself. I did end up completing it. Uh, It was about as hard as I would have expected, not impossible. The funny thing was though, that throughout the fast, the only thing that I remember feeling other than hungry, I felt very hungry, was how remarkably unspiritual it felt. Although I had succeeded in not eating for 24 hours, it was hard to not feel discouraged by my lack of God moments. After reflecting on my experience, I learned a few valuable things. One of my biggest mistakes was focusing on what I wanted to accomplish with my fast. I realized what I had done was place my focus on suppressing urges and practicing self-control rather than focusing on what God wanted to do through my fast. The problem was, as I fasted, I realized I was trying to use fasting to get something for myself. In this season, I had identified unhealthy boundaries I had with things like food, media, and technology, and was hoping that fasting would somehow magically solve that for me. Now, these obviously aren't bad things to focus on, and I probably still have work to do to figure out what healthy balance and boundaries looks like in my life. But I was trying to use fasting as a remedy to the problem. Sure, I had avoided the things I committed to avoiding, but I hadn't allowed that to motivate me to trust God in a greater way. 
Fasting isn't a means to an end. Fasting doesn't exist to accomplish our goals. The goal of fasting is to allow God to accomplish God's purposes in you and me. Fasting teaches us to trust God like Christ did by weaning us off of our coping mechanisms and throwing us into a prayer-filled relationship with God instead. The question I want us all to reflect on this morning is, in what area of your life is God inviting you to trust him more? And what role could fasting play in helping you to do that? I wonder what it would look like for us to consider adding in fasting to our spiritual rhythms. You know, part of the uniqueness of a spiritual practice like fasting is that it's proactive in nature. While many of the spiritual practices we've spent time with in this series are reacting to what we're experiencing in life, an activity like fasting is a way for us to proactively engage uh, in something that we might not otherwise come across naturally, let alone choose to do. This is important to recognize because In order for our fasting to be effective, it requires putting some intentional thought and foresight into planning out the mechanics of whatever it looks like. Before embarking on any type of relationship with fasting, it's important not to make the same mistakes that I did and spend time laying this groundwork. You'll need to consider questions like, how will you choose what to fast from? What craving or compulsion do you find yourself gravitating towards, especially in moments of stress and disruption? What about how long you uh, or how often you'll choose to fast? Will it just be one day or even maybe even just one part of one day? Or will it be a whole week or um, something that I wouldn't recommend if you're abstaining from water or food? <laughs> but you don't want to fast for such a short amount of time that it doesn't provide you with any unique opportunities for prayer. At the same time, you don't want it to be so long and so big that you give up halfway through and never want to try it again. It's important to think these kind of things through before you even begin to consider adding this into your routine. This type of intentional, prayerful reflection will allow this practice to meet you where you're at. Not become a magic formula or some sort of spiritual vending machine. It's also important to carve out time before and after every fast in order to pause and reflect. Now, maybe you've already done the preliminary work and know exactly what your fast will look like, but I still find it helpful to repeatedly engage in this time to ask myself, what exactly are you desiring from God and what might God be asking of you? Afterwards, you'll want to ask yourself questions like, where did you find God? Where did it feel like God wasn't? Or what felt easier than you expected? What felt harder? Paying attention to the answers these types of questions provide allow us to look deeper into ourselves. And this can guide our prayers as we fast. And there's no prescribed method for what prayer looks like on your fast, but the hope would be that prayer keeps you focused on the reason that you are fasting. Maybe it means using the mealtimes when you would be eating to engage in a more prolonged period of of personal prayer. Maybe you've actually chosen uh, to fast with people, with your life group, family, or friends, and you're carving out times of communal prayer that involves encouragement for one another or praying for something specific together. On my fast, I found it incredibly helpful to use a simple phrase that I repeat throughout the day whenever I feel uh, hungry or whenever I feel like quitting, and I do often feel like quitting. But I simply say quietly to myself, Jesus, 
you are enough. I'm instantly reminded that my deepest longings can only be satisfied by Christ. And in a season where I feel driven to consume more, reminding myself of this simple truth has helped me to learn to rely on Jesus in a greater way. This type of intentionality, reflection, and prayer allows us to keep the focus on what we're fasting for and not what we're fasting from. A successful fast doesn't mean that we just avoided something. It means we were able to open ourselves up to God in a unique way. It means we are able to reach beyond fasting as a practice and focus on connection with God, which is ultimately the goal. In the parable I described above, Jesus is describing the Pharisee's negative religious attitude and uses fasting as a way to prove his superior spirituality. And just like any spiritual practice, fasting can quickly become an obligation and cease to draw us closer to God. This happens anytime we prioritize ritual over relationship with Jesus. Whether you're married or not, think about a wedding ring, for example. It's simply a symbol of the relationship, nothing more. It's not the thing that prompts the relationship. Love is actually what prompts the giving of the ring, and it's love that moves the relationship beyond the ring into genuine union with one another. In the same way, fasting itself isn't what helps us uh, feel closer to God. Our desire for God prompts our willingness to engage in a spiritual practice like fasting, and our desire for God is what moves our relationship beyond fasting into greater trust and deeper relationship. For many of us, including myself, fasting has been a spiritual practice that has become largely ignored in the church. I wonder what taking that first step could look like. What about giving up social media for one day a week? What about giving up coffee or alcohol for an extended amount of time? Maybe it actually means adding in a weekly rhythm of abstaining from food. But I want you to imagine with me for a second that we could emerge in, we could emerge from this season of quarantine with a greater degree of intimacy with God. Imagine if we could live our lives with less dependency on our cravings and a radical dependency on God. Imagine if we could become a people known for the freedom we discovered simply by choosing to go without. You know, fasting is just one of many ways we can do these kinds of things, but maybe if we try it, we just might discover a brand new life-giving way to deepen our spirituality. We might stop relying on the things around us to satisfy our longing for more and instead find ourselves experiencing abundant, trusting, inspiring, prayer-filled relationship with God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we pray to you, our provider, knowing that you are enough. God, we ask that you meet us in the places that we are reliant on the things around us um, to, uh, to, to deal with the stresses of life and to deal with um, the disruption that we're experiencing all around us. God, thank you this morning for reminding us that you are enough for us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.